Welcome back to Call and Shots. I'm joined today by a very, 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 am I laying that on too thick? Very special <laughs> guest, uh, Utah Sports Trader of the Year, Sarah Todd of the Desert News. Sarah, thanks for coming back on. Uh, thank you for all the varies. I feel like that's how I want people to introduce me and refer to me always now, now that I have such an esteemed title. <laughs> I, I believe it was five, if you're, <laughs> if we're counting pieces of flair. Great. Five is the, five is the expectation. Perfect. Um, so we've talked a few times th- this season. I, you know, the, the Jazz have definitely been, they were interesting in the offseason because of the Rudy trade. They were interesting at the start of the season because they were playing well. And also because Rudy and the Wolves have not and were not playing well. And it seemed like they were in kind of a little bit of a spin around Christmas and New Year's. And now they've kind of bounced back to 500, still solidly in the playoff mix. With the trade deadline coming up, what, what, what is what's going on with them? Like, what it, it did seem to me like like things were about to go south right at the start of January, but it, but things have turned around a little. Yeah, and like I think that all of the most of the losses that the Jazz have had this season have been like when Mike Conley has been injured, or Kelly Olynyk was injured, or Larry Markkinen was out for a couple of games, and so it's like kind of their like big veteran pieces that they actually have on this team that's when their losses have come but even the losses when they've been sort of a complete team have mostly been really really close I think the the, I think before uh Monday night's game against the Hornets they had been in a league leading like 29 or 30 games that were that came down to clutch minutes and so like they're in a lot of games and they win like just under half of those. And so it makes sense that like, if you're playing guys like Walker Kessler, who's a rookie and you've got guys in positions that like have never really been closers in this league, like, uh, like Jordan Clarkson making like really tough decisions down at the end of a game. Like he's not really been one to be asked to make tough decisions in the final seconds of a game. And so when you have those guys on the court, I think it makes sense that, like, you're going to lose some of those. But the Jazz are – it's it's weird that this is the team that is, like, in every game. Um, that being said, their opponents have been resting players a lot on nights when they play the Jazz. And so the Jazz are, like, really, really in these games against usually, like, a depleted roster on the other side. And so – all of that combined, I don't still really know where to put this team. I mean, I think that it's obvious to everyone that Lowry Markkinen is playing at an all-star level and he's had like an emergy, like a breakout year. Um, but outside of that, like it's kind of like a weird mishmash group and leading up to the trade deadline, we don't know how much that's going to change because they really could be sellers or buyers or both uh, at the deadline. In a way, it, 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 when they, during that five-game losing streak, that almost felt like, well, this season has gone perfectly for Utah. It's like they, they uh, showed that the vets can still play. Uh, Lori Mark, like the most important thing on the floor is that Markkinen looks like it looks like the real deal. Uh, and now they're going to you know, go a certain way and, and be able to replenish again in the draft. Um, that sort of rated itself a little bit. But I think I want to stick on, on Markkinen for a little bit because yeah. – you know, he started the season great and 
has continued to be really one of the the the, the prime offensive forces in the league this year. I think. Um, I think it's probably still gone a little under the radar just because you know the Utah and five hundred combined to to do that, but you know what has what is it what has happened there that he is now this this you know high efficiency high volume scorer who can seem like he can get buckets on on anybody now yeah I, a lot of it I think has to do with that will Hardy has he saw what he was able to do obviously like in Chicago and Cleveland and Cleveland has had start of had started to kind of use uh Lowry as more than just a spot up shooter but not nearly as much as he is now but they'd started to kind of use him versatile and then after the trade uh Will Hardy was watching what Markkinen was doing with the Finnish national team where where Lowry is the guy like he he is the guy and everything runs through him and so you see him like running the floor and bringing the ball up the court and he acting as the ball handler and a screener in pick and roll and like moving around and scoring from all three levels and so he sees that with the Finnish national team and he's like okay well why don't we just try to like build off that and see if he can actually do it against NBA teams and so it's it was kind of like experimental like listen it works when you're playing for Finland but like let's see if it works here and it absolutely does work because Larry Markkinen is really good. <laughs> and so part of it is just like Will Hardy would say, like getting out of uh, Lowry's way and just letting him use all of his tools. Uh, part of it's the way that the Jazz are using him. Um, and I think that what's left though, and what's one of the reasons that it kind of goes under the radar is that I think a lot of like the, the real like top tier offensive threats in the league that, everyone kind of that comes to mind when you think of that there are a lot of guys that can that score really well in isolation and Markkinen doesn't really play iso ball and so the fact that he's like getting the ball while he's on the move and he's like plays a lot off the ball I think that that kind of makes people think well the ball's not in his hands all the time so he's he's not the one that's like making the decisions he's just benefiting from like the way that the team is working but in the in the small number of times that he does play in isolation he's incredibly good with that too and I think that the next evolution for him now is like realizing like that he is the best player on this team and that they do need him to involve himself in the offense like in big moments and kind of just take over I think that's kind of like the next step for him to become recognizable as as the player that he can become. It's like the, like the non ISO version is almost make is nostalgic for like an earlier era of bucket getters. Right. You know, the ball was not in Dominique Wilkie, like not to make the comparison, but like that kind of, you know, front court score. Right. You know, those were not guys who just like got the ball and surveyed and, and they were, players who you you ran the set for they they came off a screen and did something and and that that sort of the cleverness of of being able to score in multiple ways i that 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 speaks to me on some level so i i uh i enjoy that and i hope that that kind of that doesn't go away even if there are times when you know just kind of dumbing it down and like all right i'll take it at the top of the floor everyone else get down to the baseline i'm going to score because we need that 
even if that becomes more part of the game, I hope the I hope the uh, the sort of more in the flow version of it doesn't go away. Yeah, and I mean, and what I like a lot about it is that like he's he's so good, even when it's not on the inside too. Like he plays that type of game like you're talking about on on the perimeter as well, and so like he'll like cut down like off a flare screen or like a pin down and come back up and shoot across the court to the opposite side. And then he hits catch and shoot threes at like 44% or something like that. (laughs) And, and so it's happening all over the court and he's really good off the ball. And, and so I don't, I don't really want that part of his game to change. Um, But I mean, it, it would be, I think good for his, the longevity of his career to kind of, be able to to take over a little bit more and be more aggressive i i see that but at the same time from from a standpoint of like utah building around and with him having that versatility to go to you know to do either right um you know there's so many so many of these times you we see when they put the like you know top players get put together well there's only one ball and you know there's a reason why you know, again, I don't not to make the comparison because it's ridiculous, but like Kevin Durant can fit anywhere because Kevin Durant can play on the ball or off the ball, and and having a little bit of that, I feel like, you know, doesn't it kind of okay? The Jazz get a high draft pick. It doesn't really matter who's there because it's not someone you have to worry about not fitting with Markinen. Right. Exactly. And it's hard to even imagine a player that wouldn't fit next to him. Honestly. I mean, probably, I'm honestly someone who is like a, everyone watch, I'm going to dribble. Right. You know, like. like Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, that, that's the interesting thing is he is, he is a, he, he, he didn't need to play that way. And that's what, what frustrated me. And I don't think he has played that way in Cleveland. Right. Not yet. Not yet. Well, yeah. Wait till, wait till the, the close, the, the close of close playoff games and then we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously, I mean, you think you think he's an all star this year. I think that that it's a, it's a I I haven't gone through the Western Conference to to know really where where I I would put him, but he certainly has a a great argument, and and uh, largely will probably be determined by how well the Jazz play in the next two weeks. I would think. Um, although the, the game in Utah, maybe that pushes them over the top. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I, I think that I think that there's not a lot of room for massaging these things, but I think that the the league would uh, because he would be like so close. I think to getting a reserve spot, um, I think that it, it is is very near a lock at this point for him to just be one of the reserve guys in the West. Um, at least one person on the West roster will miss the game through injury, so he's right. <laughs> he's he's guaranteed a spot that way, if nothing else. Because yeah, exactly. Because Adam is no dummy, and that that one's kind of a layup. Exactly. Um. So that's I think big picture. That's the you know the single most important thing for Utah this year is 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 that development and establishment. Um. Yeah, and I, I mean to add to that, I think like the before the season started, before we knew what marketing was going to be like the, the biggest and most important thing for this team this season was like, can we figure out if there's two to three guys 
that could be a part of like the future iteration of this team? Like what, who's going to be here like moving forward? And I think that that's already been established and we're only like halfway, a little bit more than halfway through the season. And so I think that those are just like huge positive, like neon lights for the jazz that they, they already are like, okay, we know exactly who from this roster we'd like to have moving forward. And it's Lowry marketing, the rookie Walker Kessler and uh, Colin Sexton. And while there are definitely still question marks about Colin Sexton, I think that, you know, they, they established early on with how much they invested him when they traded for him. And uh, like the deal that he's on is like, they invested $70 million in the future of him. And they really want to kind of develop him into like a sixth man or just like a bucket getter or someone that can come in and is really dynamic off the dribble. So they'll at least have that type of player. And so that's three guys that they know that they're going to have around for a while. And the rest is kind of just gravy. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Walker Kessler because you're, you're okay. Marketing is clearly, um, I'm going to borrow a, a phrase that I've heard uh, Justin Zanuck use often as a go forward piece. Right. Um, uh, I, you have to be a little surprised um, and, and about how well he's been. And, and, and I mean, it, from what you're telling me, it seems like they view him as already having been established as that. Um, oh, which, yeah. Um, you know, he, he he was an interesting defensive prospect, but I think that it, his uh, his skill level has has surprised. Yeah, and there's, I mean the the Jazz front office were they were definitely interested in Walker Kessler and like had high hopes for him and really wanted him included in that Rudy Gobert trade, but not to the point that they thought he was going to be like this. Like no nobody thought that he was going to be this good this fast and so uh i i can't imagine like how good they actually feel about having having him included because we're talking about like 50 games into the season and he's incredibly close to being like a full-time starter for this team and like owning that position in from indefinitely right like that's they, I think that Will Hardy really wants to like make him kind of take ownership of the flaws in his game, and so it's not like they really want to hand over the starting position to him like on a silver platter, and kind of they want to humble him a little bit by kind of making him really learn where he needs to get stronger in his game, and I mean he's already such a good kid and. Uh, a perfectionist and really takes things hard when he makes mistakes, but he also is so, so quick at learning that, I mean, just like I said, just in his rookie season, this many games in, like he's already changed his footwork. He's already gotten a lot better at cutting down on fouls. He is so instinctual with his hands and he goes up vertically with and blocks with both hands, which I think is not something that we see a lot. We see a lot of guys like go up and try to go for the block with like their dominant hand. And uh, he just really uses his length in a smart way. And it feels like every single game, he kind of learns something new or he adds something different to his game. And the fact that you've got, you know, a guy this young 
that is learning this fast and is this good this quickly is, I mean, it's really incredible for them. It just makes that trade look even better for the Jazz. So I'm going to, I, before gassing them up a little bit more, um, you know, they, you, you're talking about them wanting to him to own flaws and improve. Where, where do they see those areas of improvement needed? Like, I, I don't think, for example, I don't think anyone's expecting him to become like a floor spacer. Um, right. But what are the, what are the sort of the, the realistic kind of improvements that they're, they're hoping to see over, you know, the remainder of this year and the next year? Yeah. Like, I mean, just based on a couple of like recent examples, he was in the game at the end of the game against the Nets and, um, he kind of just was a step back on Kyrie Irving and like he, he thought that he was high enough up over one of the last shots that Kyrie took to kind of like put the game away. And he was not up high enough. Like he needed to be like one step further up, like closer to the screen so that he could close out. And, and Will Hardy was like furious with him. And then they went back and like watched the clip a bunch of times and, uh, Walker thought like I was high enough up and then when he rewatched it he's like we're talking about like one foot he's like Will Hardy's like yeah one foot is the difference in this league like you have to adjust things at the end of games if you want to be on the floor at the end of games because I have to be able to like trust you to make good defensive reads even if it goes against like if we're playing and drop but you need to get up on a screen because it's a guy like freaking Kyrie Irving then like you have to you have to make that judgment call and, and so that's one thing is just like knowing the nuances of like, what's going to be asked for you at the end of games. Uh, another thing is like just being a better screener. I think that sometimes Walker will go up to screen someone and he'll just like be scared to make contact because he's worried about getting called for an illegal screen. And so he won't, he just needs to kind of get wider and lower and just like use his body instead of kind of just clipping guys a little bit. And that's another thing that Hardy is like, if you if you want to be in games at the end of games, which is obviously like the, the more important piece than starting, but also goes hand in hand. Like if you want to have that like level of trust from the coaching staff, you have to do like these little things well. And so it's just kind of recognition at the end of game and setting good screens and um like knowing where he's supposed to be as uh, like based on who else is on the court. You know, if Jared Vanderbilt's on the court, then the spacing changes. And so Walker's going to have to like move out of the paint a little bit more and kind of move things around, set more screens, get the offense kind of flowing. Whereas like if it's Kelly Olenek on the floor and the floor is spaced, then like he has more room to work with down there. And so he can move a little bit more off the ball. So it's just, I think it's just uh, understanding the game and understanding his position on the floor. I mean, that's the, just that level of, of defensive trust in a rookie is, I mean, part of the big part of the reason why rookies are bad defensively, why rookies are kind of bad generally in the NBA is that they can't make those kind of reads. And the fact that right. they're, they're asking that of him already is, is almost as impressive as anything else to me. Um, the, I, I, the thing that, that has stood out to me, I mean, in addition, obviously, you know the, the 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 A1 skill is obviously kind of the the paint protection and the defensive presence um his he has so much more with ability with the ball in his hands than than you know player a player of that sort of profile you expect certainly of a guy who gets you know that the, you know a a defense first center who gets drafted in the in late in the first round 
you're not expecting someone to come in and already have like a dribble handoff game. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'll just, I'll say the quiet part. Like after watching Rudy Gobert on this team for a really long time and him having like not very good offensive hands and like, he's not a great finisher and kind of just butterfingers a lot of the time with the ball in his hands. Uh, it it really stands out when then the next guy to have the ball in his hands at that position for this team is Walker Kessler. And so, and like, I'm not saying that Walker Kessler is buddy, better than Rudy Gobert, although there are a lot of people that would say that. And I think Cal- that we need to down. wait. Calm down. <laughs> calm down, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we all need to just take a deep breath and wait. Um, but like you said, like, He's so young and his career has is what, like four months old. And he just seems really smart with the ball in his hands and has incredible touch. And it's hard not to like everything that you see him do. And that's that I've come to think that that is that ability, even if, if you're not a floor spacer, the ability to play with the ball in your hands take one dribble, make a pass, things like that, is an incredible differentiator for players of that kind. Like, you know, the Clint Capellas of the world are kind of, you know, he's kind of the last one who's getting kind of uh, starter minutes. But the the players who are playing on good teams, who who, who are playing starter minutes, are, are guys like Robert Williams, Jared Allen, who can catch the ball in the move and... and you know they're not going to cross you over and or shoot pull up jumpers or anything like that, but they can play with the ball in space, run a dribble handoff, stuff like that. So that's the that you know in addition to the defensive chops you're talking about, that's the kind of thing that turns you from a from a fun you know eighteen twenty two minute a game energy defensive big into a a starting you know thirty minute a game type player. Yeah, and I mean like you said, like we've already seen him play like the dribble handoff and he also like does really well when there's kind of a a lull or there's like a little bit of a broken play. Like a guy doesn't come around a screen fast enough to like get the ball. He, he makes really good decisions and like he'll just dribble across the court and like get things started on the other side. And it's that recognition I think that is impressed me the most is that he doesn't, he doesn't panic and he's not like, Oh no, what do I do? This isn't in the playbook. Right? Like he, he's, fine making decisions like that i i should not have the ball someone help right (laughs) um so i think you you know you you hit on you hit on uh colin sexton as well um and i think that's a going from those players the the, you know the go forward players to everyone else uh given where we are in the calendar is sort of the natural segue uh what are they gonna do (laughs) great question (laughs) um I think Well let me let me back up actually. What what do you think what what do you think they should do? And then we can maybe talk about what they think they should do. Right. I think I think that I'm probably what I think they should do is very close to I think what they think they should do. Um but there is like a little a little piece that worries me in there. So what I think they should do is that uh they should trade Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, they should, um, and I kind of like, don't care really what they get in return. I think that if you've got like more future assets, 
no long-term contracts. Like that's kind of what you're looking for is like, if you can get a first rounder attached in there and um, maybe a player that would be like a restricted free agent, like that's fine, but that's not the most important thing to me. Um, I would love if they would be able to kind of attach Rudy Gay in that to fill some salary for someone and just not have him on the team because I think that he's holding back what the team is actually able to do. Uh, and that's a whole other sidetrack that we can get on if you want to. I, I, please. Um, it's, uh, it, it, um, I, this is the... F- I, this is a subplot that I was not aware of. So uh... right, so so Rudy Gay. I mean, his minutes have been dwindling, but I mean, he started out the season playing like roughly between like fifteen, eighteen minutes a night off the bench. I think he's down to like, I think he's averaging like twelve or something like that right now. Um, but the the he should not be playing. First of all, like he's absolutely washed he's not any good he is not a good shooter how do you really feel though he takes bad shots he doesn't try on defense like it's just so many things that are not good the problem is is that the jazz can't not play him because quinn snyder benched him last year and he was a huge problem in the locker room because of that uh, he talked about it during media day this year and said that he felt like he wasn't allowed to do his job and that he was excited about being in a position where he could actually do his job. And so, the, it, and he likened it for the reporters in the room. He was like, you know, it was like, it's like if all of you guys came in here and somebody told you, you're, you're not allowed to ask any questions to which my responses will actually uh, it's like if we came in here to do our jobs and then we weren't good at our job and then someone else who was better at our job got to do our job. Uh, that's actually what it was like when he got benched. And and so Will Hardy has to play like a, a very political game with him because the vibes are so good in Utah right now and with this team and everyone's happy and like the fact that they're 500 and the losses aren't getting to them mentally at all and they're they're all kind of on this happy train about everyone's accepted what this team is and that there's development happening and that they're, they're in the games every night and that's a positive that they can take away. And so like, things are so positive. If you've got one guy who starts making a problem in the locker room, like that could absolutely torpedo everything. And so you kind of just have to keep him happy until he's off the roster. And that's a sucky place to be in. And so uh, my thought is like, if you can't attach him to any trade at the deadline, then I think that you should just eat his salary and waive him because I mean, I know that it's $6 million, but you're, you're playing him in front of guys like Ochai Abaji, uh, who was a lottery pick who has a ton of upside and potential or, or Simone Fontecchio who came over uh, from Europe and you really will kind of want to look and see if he can be kind of just like your, your sniper, right? Like they're trying to find fill-ins for the kind of players that they've had in the past. And so like, you're looking at Simone Fontecchio and like, can he be kind of a Boyan Bogdanovich guy where he can come in, just hit threes and uh, he's got a huge frame, but those Ochai and Simone can't get on the court uh, when Rudy Gay is taking up those minutes. So that's the subplot. So there's, there's a juicy subplot. 
It's uh, yeah. I, and I think that's. It, it, I I think people often don't on the outside don't realize that you know. Well, the 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 uh, the given vet is given minutes because it's a bigger problem if they don't play. Yeah. And I think this is this is a this you know this is um this is not the only example of exactly that dynamic around the league right now. I, I would say. No, and I mean, I think I think people don't realize that, that that kind of thing happens a lot. Like, I think a lot of kind of the more casual fans will assume that like the best players on like play, and that coaches want that to happen. But like, there's there's so much like bureaucratic stuff just within like the just within playing time that coaches have to deal with so much more than just deciding who they want to be on the court. It's, I mean, playing time is almost like communicating by semaphore. Yeah. It's just like, what <laughs> signal are we sending if we do? But, and then the agent will, you know, leak something and, yep. <laughs> and it's it back. It's, 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 it's really quite silly, but it, it doesn't mean it's not, not what happens. Um, I, so you, um, is it, I'll, is it, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll keep going with like what I think the jazz should do. And so can I, can I, can I, can I, can I yeah, um, but, um, so is, is Vanderbilt and Beasley who are two players I kind of like, is that, is that just a kind of the, the contract, uh, timeline or are you just, are you just not really convinced that they're part of like the next core? I'm just not convinced that they're part of the next core. I think um, Malik Beasley, I think, is is interesting because he is such a good shooter, but he's also leaves a lot to be desired sometimes. Um, and just he makes poor decisions. And I think that if you're if you're wanting to like build for the future, and you've got a guy where you've got to break that many bad habits, I think that. You, you know, you might as well go and get something uh, younger or better. And I think that it's not really a surprise that Vanderbilt and Beasley have been traded together off of two teams that have been trying to get better. Like that, that should kind of be a signal to everyone about like how good they actually are. And so in Beasley's case, like one of the things that annoys me the most is that like, he's just, dies on absolutely every screen that can be said for Vanderbilt too. It's just they, they die on every screen that's ever been set on them and they, they don't set screens themselves. And that's very nitpicky of me, but also Malik does this thing where right before he's about to check out, like if he sees somebody at the scores table, who's coming in for him, it's going up and it doesn't matter if it's good, bad, indifferent, it's absolutely going up. And he, so he, consistently like plays two minutes of just the worst basketball every single time he's about to check out and I respect that I respect that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's playing his own game and you you do have to respect that <laughs> um and then Jared Vanderbilt I I used this the comparison on on my own podcast uh he is Eric Paschal where just on first glance like you see him he gets offensive boards he he runs around he's constantly like crashing in it feels like he's all over the place and it feels like high energy uh player who you know he's got his hands everywhere um but high energy does not equal high impact or good defense or good basketball and 
like he'll he'll run in from beyond like the three point line to crash in for an offensive rebound that he absolutely has no chance of getting, and then he ends up like falling over three players that he runs into and he's on the floor, doesn't get back on defense, and then the other team scores because they have numbers. And that happens three to five times every single game. And like I said, not a good screener, dies on screen. And with a guy like with that kind of frame too, you would expect him to be able to kind of like work either over or under screens and not get caught on them so much. And he does all the time. And his touch is just so bad. He's got one of the worst feels for making a basket that I've ever seen. And so I think that, I think that the jazz need to trade him now while other people still like him. (laughs) (laughs) So I should keep, uh, I should keep saying nice things about him just so they, yeah. Yeah. You say so many nice things about him. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, 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 at one, I, I definitely hear your point, especially about the sort of the visible efforting. That's right. sort of been a, a hobby horse of mine for a long time is that, you know, we because the human eye is drawn to movement, the guy who's like running all over the, the court and, you know, jumping and running into people and, you know, clapping their hands and, and all those things is uh, is often seen as a certain thing when it's when it's maybe, you know, I don't want to say it's fake hustle, but it's ineffective hustle. Yeah, that's the thing is it's I do think that he's absolutely giving effort i really do like he gives a ton of effort but he's it's just misplaced it it would be it's it's sort of like you you uh you see a player like sprint to make a closeout it's like oh that's great it's like well why wasn't he just standing there right already already in defensive position is you would never notice that but that's far better defense exactly okay so um i think i mean i think beasley would be an interesting guy just from a skill set standpoint would be an interesting guy for uh, a, a pretty good team because even you maybe live with some of the some of the questionable shots for the fact that he's still a very high level shooter and right. has you know has legit wing size and there aren't you know there the, there aren't there aren't enough of those to go around so so um, I I wouldn't be surprised if he found if he found a home somewhere yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the, at the, at the top of the list, I think for, uh, tradable guys, I think that the jazz also would, are willing and have been listening to offers on Jordan Clarkson, Kelly Olenek and Mike Conley. And I think that they'd be, they'd be totally fine if they actually traded a couple of those guys, depending on the offers that came in and what kind of packages they could get, uh, they'd be willing to part with anyone. My worry is that they're actually going to trade Mike Conley. And, and like, I've, I've tried to look at this, like from all sides, from the, from the jazz point of view, I'm worried about it because you've got so many young guys that you're trying to develop. You're going to have a bunch of picks coming up in the draft and however many of them you keep, like you're going to have more young guys. And I, I don't like, I don't think they want to turn into the Houston Rockets where it's just like a bunch of young dudes and like, no one has direction. No one's like learning from anyone. Right. You stole my analogy. (laughs) And Mike Conley is so, so valuable for these guys. Like, 
the amount that Colin Sexton alone has learned from him and Walker Kessler too. Like Walker Kessler learns so much about the, the timing and how to manipulate the pick and roll because he's playing with Mike Conley. And those things like have a lot higher value than I think people really understand because if it's Walker Kessler trying to play in the pick and roll with a rookie point guard next year, that's not going to look the same. And people are going to think that Walker Kessler is taking a step back, but really it's just because you're not playing with like one of the best point guards in the game anymore. And so I think that the trickle down of not having Mike Conley would be really bad. On the other hand, like if I'm Mike Conley and the jazz say like, we can trade you to this contending team. Do I want to like waste my last two years in Utah, knowing that I'm probably not going to win a title when I could go and spend two years somewhere else and maybe actually get a chip before I retire. Like that has to be incredibly appealing. And I know that that's like a hard decision. That was a hard decision over the summer for Mike Conley too. Is like, do I ask to stay here or do I ask to go somewhere? And then I risk going somewhere where, you know, I'm moving my family again. And then what if I don't win? And so like, th- those are very intimate, hard decisions. Um, and then for the jazz again, it's like, there might come a deal that looks too good to pass up. And then you kind of just have to deal with the repercussions and then the vets that you have left on the team are like Jordan Clarkson and Kelly Olenek. And that's, that's difficult. And then if you trade Kelly Olenek, you have to hope that the jazz are coming with a backup plan for like, who's going to play five when it's not Walker Kessler, because if, and like, I'm under the impression that like, they're probably going to deal Jared Vanderbilt, but if they don't, and then it's just like Walker Kessler and Jared Vanderbilt, well, that really changes the spacing a lot uh, when they're both on the floor. And then what you're playing like Udoka as a bouquet at the backup five. Like, so there's just like some roster construction issues. If you trade uh, one or more of the veteran players and I think that can be ironed out with the pieces that you get back in trades, but also it just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of up in the air. And I think then to close it out, the biggest question I have is like, they could trade for someone that would make them better right now. They could trade for someone and it would make them worse right now. And I think that they're kind of open to both possibilities, but I don't know which way it's going to go. And so that's still the question mark that's in my head is like, are they trading to go up or go down? Has there anyone you've, you've, uh, you've heard about that has been sort of rumored with any degree of, of credibility. And you know, most, most trades you hear about don't end up happening, Right. but is there in, in terms of guys, if they're looking to add, um, are, are they a possible John Collins? Uh, <laughs> My my uh my my quest to trade him to every team in the league continues. Um, yeah, are... that's I I do think that it's a possible John Collins destination. I like uh, and kind of on the other side of that, like I think that the the rumored interest that the Clippers have had in Mike Conley, I think that that's real, and I also think that the John Collins stuff could be real too. And so those are kind of the two that. And like you said, most most things that you hear about never happen, and a lot of the trades that happen you never hear about until they actually do. And so uh, something else could absolutely be in the works, but those are two of the things that I have heard that are kind of legitimate. 
And so, um, and if you're getting John Collins, then I think that means that you, you don't mind getting better right now. I mean, I got to say that, that, a, that a front court rotation of, of, you know, going forward of, of Market and Kessler and John Collins, I, there, there's a lot to, there's a lot to recommend that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, that, that allows, that, that allows you to have 96 good minutes at the, at the, at the four and five spot and a lot of different, a lot of versatility in how you, in how you can match up and decide to play. Yeah, and I, I mean, I also like that it kind of give it gives you versatility. Like even as you sort of move into the backcourt too. Like if you're looking at the rest of what the Jazz have, like if the future of kind of Ochai or even with Colin Sexton, like it gives you so much length that you don't really have to worry about how undersized Sexton is. But it also gives you like kind of you could switch uh, Abaji around from two to four and use him in different ways. Um, and so I I like the look of that a lot. Um. So I, I I just wanted to to you know the 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 point about the the, the Conley trade is essentially you're you're suggesting if I can paraphrase that when they're thinking about the value they would be getting in that trade they have to factor in the if they traded him the fact that the reps that the young guys are getting would be worse essentially. Yeah, um, exactly, and I think. I mean, I know that that's something that, uh, like, Will Hardy worries about because I think early, earlier in the season when Mike was out little, a little bit with a knee injury that um, he talked about that a lot, whereas, like, the decision makers that are on the court right now are not the decision makers that we had last week because we had one of the best decision makers in the game, and now we have a bunch of guys that have never made decisions for themselves in a game at all. And so I think that's that's what you're risking, but at the same time, like it just depends on what's offered, and you kind of have to weigh it. Um, we, you've you've mentioned Will Hardy a few times. Can we, you know, uh, <laughs> I think before we finish on on sort of the I guess trade deadline uh, predictions. Um, I remember when we talked in the summer after the Rudy trade, but before the Mitchell trade. Mm-hmm. Um. I was uh, like I was advocating just get it done now because you you don't want the a rookie head coach to have a fake training camp his first year. Yep. Um it seems like things he things have gone really well with him. Is that putting it mildly? Um but but also well, really well for him in that he did get to have a real training camp and and got to you know have his team play the way he wanted them to play from the start instead of being, you know, a substitute teacher. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think things could have gone any better than they have for Will Hardy right now. I mean, I think the way that the jazz started, the way that they've kind of navigated losing and he's kind of kept the morale up through that. And the way that they are like fighting to stay in games, it has made him look, all of that's made him look very good. Um, and I've just been continually impressed with how he operates. I mean, like me and him are more or less the same age. And I worried about how that was going to look when you're coaching guys like Mike Conley and Rudy Gay, right? Like what does that actually look like when you're younger than them? And 
he's done an incredible job of like demanding respect from everyone on the team without outright saying that. And I think I didn't really expect that from him. I think he comes off as kind of like a, a really jovial smiley guy at first. Um, but he can be really intense and really serious. And he, uh, has really high standards and asks a lot of the players. And I, I think that they respect that he's kind of a tough love kind of a guy. And um, I, there's been a, a lot of within like jazz fandom, a lot of clips that have gone viral of Will Hardy having very animated and heated conversations with Colin Sexton. And when I've talked about that with Will um, after the fact, He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have those types of conversations with guys like Walker and Colin. Like, I'm going to coach the hell out of them because, like, that's the job. And there, there are players on the team that he doesn't have to do that, that he knows aren't here for, that are going to be here for the duration, that he doesn't need to be as intense with. And so I think that's a good indicator of, like, who the Jazz are invested in is that, those are the guys that Will is really going to like give his energy to, good or bad. First of all, um, I think anyone would seem jovial after Quinn Snyder. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's let's the, the 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 baseline there is. Second of all, have you have you asked uh, you know Colin Sexton or or Walker Kessler or or, or Abaji about about those kind of moments and 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 you know. Uh, especially someone like Sexton, who's been in the league for a little bit and has had some success at times, um, you know how how they've they've kind of perceived and dealt with those with uh, with a public dressing down. Yeah, uh, Colin Sexton is absolutely not the person that I thought he was going to be. Uh, I don't know what I thought Colin Sexton was going to be like. I I think I I don't know I don't know what I thought he was going to be like, but he is not whatever it was. He is. He loves being coached hard. He really does. Every single time I've talked about him about it with him so many times and then and then been like, "Okay, man, like, you know, I'm not recording. Like, what's the deal?" And he's and his answers have always been the same. He's like, "No, I I need that. I I don't want like somebody to just tell me like go out there and just do whatever and like and not give me like any criticism." He's like, "That's not how I'm going to get better. I need someone to like check me." And make me self-aware because sometimes like my mind goes too fast and I don't pick up on things. And so if someone doesn't sit me down and yell at me, like I'm not going to get it sometimes. And so he's at least self-aware enough to know that he needs that. And he, he really likes Will and he likes the way that he coaches him. And, um, and like Walker Kessler, like he's so hard on himself all the time too. Like Will, will will laugh about it he's like he apologizes to me like every 10 seconds it's so annoying and and so like uh walker kessel will say like yeah he gets on me but then like it's in the heat of the moment like during a game when like he'll yell at me but then like he'll sit down and he takes the time to like explain things like to me and so there's there's like give and get in that relationship and i think that those young guys appreciate it and at least from colin sexton's point of view it's exactly what he wants it's I it's uh I don't think it's I don't think getting the hairdryer treatment after after Bruce Pearl is 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 probably anything new for Walker Kessler either. <laughs> no. 
Um, so I, I guess if you, I mean, we're, you're, you're, so that would be, if you're talking about go forward pieces for the jazz, that almost makes four in that, that I think getting that, that for a team that's pivoting, getting that coaching higher, right. I think we've seen teams do well with it. Um, you know, Memphis, I think we did well with that with Taylor Jenkins. I think there's some other teams that, that it, the jury is at best still out on in terms of, of, of pivoting to kind of the younger coach. Um, so that, I mean, that seems like almost as important, you know, when I talked about the most important thing being marketing, I maybe, maybe the second most important thing is like, yeah, Will Hardy can coach. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think, you know, there was a lot unknown about, I think what Will Hardy was going to be like as his own coach. I mean, unknown to people who didn't know him, right? Like there are a lot of coaches in the league that have, mentored him because he was on that Spurs uh, coaching staff for so long. And so like, I mean, he comes from guys like, I mean, he spent a lot of time with Taylor Jenkins because they would hang out uh, because Taylor was coaching in the G league when, uh, when Will was in San Antonio, he spent a lot of time with Jacques Vaughn. He spent a lot of time with Greg Popovich. He spent a lot of time with, like a Tori Messina and like a lot of really, really smart people who have helped him. And so I think a lot of those people knew that he was going to be just fine and what kind of a coach he would be, but people kind of on the outside of the NBA circles didn't know. And um, the, I think the jazz really got it right with this one. I mean, front office ownership, like they, they love him. I, I think that, that we can, you know, that, we can overly fetishize that sort of that that pedigree. Like we've seen plenty of people, kind of with the Spurs, kind of kiss, not be great coaches. Yeah, I think the the the, the, the what you mentioned earlier about like the ability to command respect. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things when I was talking to Pop about Will Hardy, he was like one of the things that stood out really early was that he was a young guy who understood how to get people to trust him. And he's like, when you have that trait early on, that usually bodes well for you in the future. And I think that that has turned into like he he knows how to get players to trust him and he knows how to get players to respect him. And that's incredibly important in the NBA. And that's the one thing you just, you you know, when people, you know, advocate for this assistant or that assistant to get it, that's the one thing you just never know. Right. You, you just never know because the, the like... The, the slide one chair over just naturally changes those relationships so much. Right. It's like, you know, okay, if I'm, you know, we're, we're doing, we're doing, you know, we're doing daily vitamins and I'm, you know, giving you coaching pointers. Okay. Yeah. No, that's you're you know, we're on the same page here. Right. If, if you suddenly control my playing time and thus my paycheck. It's a different what, ball game. It's a different ball game. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. very different. It's a very like it's just natural. Like you, you you're not buddies anymore because you you can't be. Um, well, so, that's and that's something that Will Hardy has said publicly too. He like I think that I asked him early on in the season. Uh, I think it was in L.A. Like how how do you deal with those situations where like you know you are building relationships with these guys, but like the relationship that you have to build is a difficult one. And he's like, yeah, like I have to consistently every day remind myself, like I'm your coach, not your friend. 
And that's, that's the line that I have to walk is like, I, I will be friendly and I will love you and care about you, but I'm not your friend first. I'm your business partner at most. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. And I think, I think that's, I mean, I think that is almost, you know, I, I feel like that's been like the secret of pop success for his career is sort of understanding that and knowing how to do that and all the, you know, the, the breaking bread and the X's and O's and everything else. Like, yeah, that's important. But that, that recognition of, of that being job number one and then being able to do it, like that's the secret sauce. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. Having, you know, having spent, you know, who knows how long saying all the wonderful things about the jazz. Now it's, uh, uh, flip it completely and make you make predictions about what you think they're actually going to do in the next two weeks. Um, how much of it depends on basically how they play over the next 10 days or are they, are they, they going to be kind of independent of that? We're going to be in the mix one way or another. I honestly think at this point, how they play doesn't matter. And so it's completely independent of that. I think that, I think they're, I mean, they're definitely not going to like stand pat. I don't expect for them to just like roll through the trade line and trade deadline and do nothing. Um, I, I would not be uh, absolutely shocked if we saw them trade um, some mix, if not all of Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Kelly Olenek, Mike Conley. Uh, that would not shock me. And um, it would also not shock me for them to like get a good player back that like would feel like it would make them better. But because of what they would lose, I think in like Olenek and Conley that they actually do get worse. And so my prediction is that they probably like stay kind of around where they are right now, but end up maybe like at the bottom of the play in. Um that's kind of what I see happening. But the but even if they if that's where it ended up, the intent would that wouldn't be a short term make you better piece. I mean, we talked about John Collins, who's right. I don't in, think yeah. I don't think that. I'm, I mean, I'm absolutely certain in this is that they are not going to make a move at the trade deadline in hopes of getting better for this season. Absolutely zero of their decisions are going to be like, well, we're five hundred. Maybe we can actually make some noise in the playoffs. They do not care about that. This this year is not important. Any decision that they're going to make is about the next three or four years. And so, how they play till the tread until the trade deadline and how they play after is not of their concern at all. So uh, the big takeaway from that is that they they haven't gotten. They they haven't gotten their heads turned by the, the the team being better on the floor than, um, I don't who know I don't know what they thought the team was going to be, but certainly than everyone else thought the team was going to be. They haven't like oh wow we're pretty good, we should pivot. No, like, this, I, this is the plan. Let's let's adjust the plan, but let's keep the plan the same. Yeah, I think I mean I think maybe the timeline has been sped up a little because of how good like Lowry and Walker are. So maybe the rebuild is you know three years rather than five right um and maybe even like they start to be a more talked about relevant team even next season um but outside of that i don't think that their their view has 
they're not they're not changing approach just yet like they're still taking the long view on every decision that they make and like if those decisions turn into them getting a a seventh or sixth seed in the west and like playing in the playoffs this season i think that's like a happy accident that they will be fine with um if they end up falling down out of the playoffs this season, I think they're absolutely fine with that. <clears throat> with that and too. Cross but your I, fingers and uh, right. see, where, see, see where that gets us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, there's, they have not their their approach has not changed at all because of anything that's happened this season. Sure. Um, I think that's as good a spot as as any to to end. Um, thanks again for coming on. Is there anything you want to? Uh, you, you want to pitch or you think you've got you, you've written recently or got coming out soon that you uh, think think people should uh, draw their attention to? Yeah, I've got a piece coming out sometime in the next couple of days uh, about Jordan Clarkson and kind of him him uh, revamping his game and kind of becoming uh, a different player than I think a lot of people thought he was going to become. And that's interesting. And people can find that at Deseret.com. Follow me on Twitter at NBA Sarah. Uh, listen to my podcast, Unsalvageable. There you go. And uh, and again, before we go, congratulations again on uh, on on uh, on on Sports Writer of the Year. That, that, that I, I imagine that had to feel pretty cool. Yeah, it did not. It did not feel bad. And I just, I'm grateful to everyone that has uh, read and followed along along the way. Well, Sarah Todd of the Desert News, thank you again for uh, being, a, being a friend of the show, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Seth. Yep. And thanks, folks, for listening. I am back tomorrow to do more trade deadline talk with uh, Sam Bassini, uh, my colleague at The Athletic. Talk, take care and talk to you then.